The text for the sermon this morning is uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. And today is what we call, uh, in view of call, and the sermon is in view of a call. And and I just want to take a a moment, if I could, to explain to you what that is. Because this church, it's been a while since you've had a senior pastor preach in view of a call. Uh, As a matter of fact, this church has had two pastors that have far out-survived their warranty. Uh, you know, they give you the average length, the lifespan, we'll say, of a pastor is not that long. Um, and pastors come and go, and, and sometimes there's reasons for it, other times there's not. But uh, God brings pastors and takes pastors, but y'all have had pastors that have, man, they've, they've, they've stuck in there for a long time. And so some of you might, might not be familiar with what it is that a view of call sermon is and what this is about. Well, a view of call sermon <clears throat> and Sunday gives you the opportunity to to hear from the candidate, the man that is being presented by recommendation by your pastor search committee because uh, it would be uh, highly inefficient if all of you served on the search committee at the same time. It might take a while to come down to one man to preach in view of a call. So you have a search committee, thank you for that, who walk through the prayer process and the procedures of, of discovering who it is they believe the Lord was calling to be the next pastor of Lone Oak First Baptist Church, and they have, by God's grace and by my uh, blessing, they've blessed me and my family by arriving at us, and they believe and we believe that God is calling us to be um, here for this season and to be elected by the congregation to serve as the next pastor, but uh, our congregational polity says that they can bring a recommendation and I can come with the wish and a dream, but you guys get to make the decision because you're the church. You have the opportunity. And so at the close of this service, you will get the opportunity to either affirm the recommendation of the pastor search committee or you'll get to reject it. It should be so awkward. But it can happen. It can happen. Be a very, very long drive back to South Alabama. <laughs> but the view of call sermon, it, it is for a purpose. Um, I'll tell you, I, I've researched it, and I have no idea what the history is um, of the call of of uh, view of call sermon. If there's been a book written about it, I haven't found it. Um, but I do know the purpose of it, and the purpose is, is really a threefold purpose. Number one, it gives you the opportunity and it gives me the opportunity to demonstrate to you that I have the ability to communicate. Like, that's a big deal if you're the pastor of a church that you are able to communicate. Would you agree? We want to make sure that, we want to make sure that if the man's going to be standing in the pulpit week after week charged to delivering messages that accurately teach God's word, we want to make sure that he can do so clearly. And for some of you, you want to make sure he can do so concisely. That means short time. <laughs> it, it was funny. I'm, I'm taking an aside here. Um, Brother Mark and I were talking about the first service and, and the timing of the service. And I said, I think the timing was right. to buying votes is giving minutes back. (laughs) So we want to demonstrate that he can communicate. 
That was just a joke, by the way. I'm really not trying to buy votes. Like, we believe God's in control. Um, the, secondly, it gives the candidate to the entire church an opportunity to express primary concerns and priorities within the ministry. It's, it's, it's not an opportunity to talk about all of the concerns that I have or all of the priorities that I have in pastoral ministry, but it is a great opportunity for me just to lay out there through the preaching of God's Word, what are some of the big ones? What are the big points that we focus on and, and want to focus on and be about And then finally, it gives me the opportunity or the candidate the opportunity to share vision of what it might look like under uh, under my leadership as what would it look like as we move forward with me, God willing, as the under shepherd who's charged to care for this church. And so the view of call sermon is exactly that. In Colossians, this book, it's a letter that Paul wrote while he was in prison And he wrote this letter to the church at Colossae, and he tells them that he wants them to read this letter, this book, to the congregation, and then he wants them to take it, and he wants it to circulate through Laodicea. And he says, I also wrote a letter to them, and I want you to get that letter, and I want you all to read it and circulate it among yourselves. And he talks about the deity of Jesus Christ in the first part. We read that passage just a few moments ago. And then he gives, he gives in verses 24 through 29, he gives... It's almost like he's given a view of call sermon in a few verses. Let me explain that. A view of call sermon, again, I shared with you kind of three purposes that are accomplished by that, uh, by that view of call sermon. But it's, it's by a man who has in large part not met the people that he's preaching to. And I've, I've met many of you. Some of y'all were kind enough to make it yesterday and patient enough to wait through the line to meet myself and my wife, but I haven't met all of you. Paul hasn't met the church in Colossae. He, is, uh, he has friends and ministers that have planted that church, and he's writing to people that he hasn't met. And he's writing to people not only that he hasn't met, but he only knows about them through other people. I know about you through your pastor search committee. They've told me about you. Now, some of you are like fantastic, but there's a few of you that are really close to some of those pastor search committee members, and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, what did he hear about me? And I'll tell you that 95% of everything they said was positive. (laughs) Paul writes, and he says, this is what my ministry is about. And I think he makes some really good points of a view of call that I agree with, as a matter of fact. He says, this is what my ministry is about to the church. And so I want to take a moment to read through Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29, and then in a very Baptist fashion, I want to give you the three points that he preaches in that message. Are you ready for God's word? Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Okay, let, we're going to get to the sermon, but just a quick point here. He says, I'm fulfilling what is lacking in Christ. Jesus Christ lacks nothing, and he did lack nothing. What Paul is saying is Jesus Christ came to initiate the coming of the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ began the work of redeeming the world to himself by giving himself as a once-for-all sacrifice on the cross and and then being raised from the grave so that we could live forevermore. And now Paul is saying not that anything in Jesus' atoning work lacked, but he started the mission and now I'm coming to finish it. I'm coming to continue it. Jesus brought salvation. 
He's the one true son of God. And he has served and he has died and been raised from the dead. And he has brought atonement. And now I'm continuing that work. And we read on, and he says, verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Here's the first point that Paul brings to our attention, and that is proclamation. He says, I'm about proclamation, and specifically, I'm about proclaiming Jesus Christ. We look, it's very directly stated in verse 28. He says, him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. Now, in an evangelical Southern Baptist church, you're here, I'm here, and we might think, why is Paul stating something so obvious and so plain of, Of course we proclaim Jesus Christ. What else would there be? Well, we don't have to step back and consider too long to understand that there are lots of things that get proclaimed that are not Jesus Christ. There are many proclamations that are made within local churches. Not this one, because I know that this church has had a long history of sound doctrine and right teaching. But there are many congregations who have pulpits where the proclamation is anything but Jesus Christ. They proclaim health and they proclaim wealth, but they forget that life can only be found in Jesus Christ. They proclaim uh, processes and predictions about the future, but they forget that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy, and they forget to proclaim Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul was writing specifically to the church in Colossae in an effort to um, in an effort to rebuke some of the false teachings that had been taking place. People were proclaiming in the uh, in the church they were proclaiming a process of redemption and how people might look for God the Father to work in the future, and he is giving them an argument and saying, we proclaim Christ because God is not going to bring redemption through a process. He's going to bring redemption through a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. It's no longer a works-based religion like Judaism had become, but now it's a grace-based religion and faith system where we have what we don't deserve, and his name is Jesus Christ. You don't have to work your way to God's love. God's love has worked its way to you through his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And he says it's him who we proclaim. We see again in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, that Paul is just stating it outright. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Why? Because people are trying to distract the church from Jesus Christ. But Paul wants the church to know, we proclaim Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is everything that we need. And he made this statement so clearly, we've already read it, but it's worthwhile reading it again, knowing that it's Paul's proclamation to the church in Colossae. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, 
Jesus, we proclaim, he says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Church, we proclaim Jesus Christ. We proclaim Jesus Christ. And the pulpit of the local church should be one of proclaiming Jesus Christ. It's not proclaiming conspiracy theories. It's not proclaiming politics. It's not proclaiming preferences. It's proclaiming Jesus Christ. And if the proclamation of Jesus Christ, who is in us, and he is the hope of glory, is not central to the pulpit, the pulpit should be taken down. Because you're no longer standing in a sacred pulpit of the Lord. You're just standing on a platform. Paul says we're about proclaiming Jesus Christ. Secondly, he says we're about the presentation. We're about the presentation. Presentation of what? Look in the scriptures at verse 28 and read with me. He says, him we proclaim. We've talked about that, right? Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So we proclaim Christ, and now we want to present everyone as mature in Christ. Now that word mature, it's a critical word to understanding what Paul is talking about here. The word mature talks about the system or the progress of a Christian moving through their faith journey. Now, sometimes what we will do as Christians is we'll misunderstand what our, uh, what our life should look like in the Christian life. And we'll think, okay, I'm either saved or I'm not saved. I'm either walking with Jesus or I'm not walking with Jesus. I'm either having a good day in victory or I'm, uh, I'm slodging through defeat and depression. And sometimes we think it's either on or off. I'm either light or I'm darkness. And it's true. You are either in the light or you're in the darkness. But once you step over into the light by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, then you should begin this process of maturing. You should begin this process of, of growing deeper and deeper in your knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and the love of God. And you should also grow in the process of magnifying Jesus Christ every day in your life to the world around you, living on mission. This word mature is, it really creates a word picture that, that points to uh, the, the action and the function of a, a pirate's telescope. Okay? Do y'all know what that is? In case you don't, I brought one with me. And I'm so excited to show this to you. I've had to, uh, I've had to keep this particular item in hiding because I have two little boys sitting right over there who have tried to get their hands on it. This is a, a pirate's uh, monocular is actually what it's called. It's, it's not authentic if you were wondering. Um, I neither know pirates nor was I a pirate. As a matter of fact, just to clear the air, I, I was able to acquire this particular model from the Amazon.com store. 
but you see, with the way that this would work is if you wanted to see, if you were uh, seafaring and you wanted to see off at a long distance, um, you could just look through it the way that it is, but it's not going to give you the picture that you need to accomplish the task that's at hand. Rather, what you would do is, do any of y'all know the secret to this? You would expand it. You would extend it. One particular, come on, work for me. (laughs) One particular length at a time. And each time that you extend it, each time that you extend it, a couple things happen. Number one, the picture that you're looking towards becomes clearer and the magnification becomes greater so that you can better understand what you're looking at. But until it's fully extended, you don't have the best clarification nor the best magnification. And this word that Paul writes here, I want to present them mature. It describes the picture of this. He says, my goal, my role, and my aim as a minister is to minister to everyone so that they would be fully extended in in such a way that they would see Jesus with the greatest clarity and that they would magnify Christ to the greatest degree in the world around them. That'll preach. So how are we going to do it? He says in verse 28, he says, first we warn people. To warn people is, it's very similar to what uh, John the Baptist used to do out in the wilderness. He would go around and he would warn people and say, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Uh, the, The word warn is specifically defined as this. It is to positively lead people and positively pressure people to choose God's best choice for their life. In other words, it's to evangelize them so that they will repent of their sins, turning away from sin and turning towards the Savior, which is the best choice for life. So to warn everyone is to evangelize them. That's stage one in the maturing process, is to hear the gospel, to receive the gospel, so that you won't die in your sin, but that you can live forever. And then he says, not only do we want to warn everyone, but then we want to teach everyone. That's the next phase, is to teach everyone. Work with me. Come on, one chance here. To teach everyone. What do we teach everyone? He says to teach everyone in all wisdom. Now, they didn't have the benefit of the canon of Scripture, the the Bible that we do. We have the Old and the New Testament. And the way that we teach people is by giving them the truth of God's Word, the Old Testament and the New Testament, because we believe that God's Word is inspired. Men wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We believe that it is... uh, that it is infallible, which means that it will not lead to, uh, it will not fail to lead someone to salvation. And we believe it's inerrant, which means that it is not containing any form of error or any mixture of error. And so we point people to the scripture to teach them, to teach them, to understand what it is that God wants for their life and how to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm from Mississippi. Some of y'all have learned that. Um, And you've heard about that. In Mississippi, when we say we're going to teach someone, sometimes we'll just say we're going to learn them something. Have y'all ever, do y'all talk like that around these parts? (laughs) I have a little suspicion. Some of y'all know exactly what I'm saying. Paul says we want to learn them. He didn't say that. I'm saying that for him. Paul says, I want to learn them something so that they know the truth of God's word from Genesis to Revelation, the whole story of redemption where God teaches us and shows us his revealed love 
through his revelation. But it's not done at just teaching people what God's word says. Walking forward in maturity is also to apply what God has taught them in life. And that's what it means to be a disciple. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to hear the truth of God, to learn what Jesus teaches us, and then to apply it to our lives so that we have a life that reflects the life of Jesus Christ. And do you know what happens when you reach full maturity? You see to the greatest way possible Jesus clearly, and you are to the greatest degree because you've been expanded over time and through process to magnify Jesus Christ to everyone around you. Paul says, I not only want to proclaim Jesus Christ, but I also want to present the entire church as mature in him. As mature in him. He goes on, and here's the final point that Paul brings in his, what I call, view of Paul's sermon. He says, uh, it's the power. How are we going to get this done as power? Now, if you'll see here on the screen, uh, we have the third word, which is power, and that's pretty good for us, but it's not quite Baptist enough for me in a view of Paul's sermon. We have, uh, we have proclamation and presentation, but power doesn't have enough in rhyme, so I've asked Brandon to add to the end of this word, poweration, right? In case you're wondering, that's not a real word. I just made it up, but it satisfies some of y'all's Baptist thirst for good alliteration, and here it is, ba- poweration. How Can we get it done? We look at verse 29 and Paul says, For this I toil, I struggle. The work, this is what I'm working for. This is what I'm trying to do. And and for this I'm struggling. But how are we struggling? How are we working? He says, I'm working it with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. How can we get it done to proclaim Jesus Christ in a world and a culture that does not want Jesus Christ to be proclaimed? And how is it that we can take not one, but every one of those that are a part of the church and see them through the process to maturity so that they see Jesus with perfect clarity and they're able to magnify him to the greatest degree to the community around him. How can we do it? And Paul just says, I don't have enough energy for that. Can I ask you, let's be honest here. It's a great place to be honest. Have any of you moms, dads, grandparents, have any of you ever just thought, I just don't have enough energy? I got an amen on that point. Of all, the, of all that's been preached this morning, that was it. You've ever, I, mean, I mean, just the energy, and I, I get it. Carly and I, we have three children. We have a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 4-year-old. And we get it. Like, you get up, and you have to get yourself ready and alive every single morning. And then you have to get your children up. Sometimes it's easier than others. And you get them up, and then you have to feed them, and you have to clothe them, and occasionally you have to groom them. And then you have to get them out the door to go wherever they need to go, to sports or to babysitters or to daycare or to school or to anywhere that they'll survive for the hours that you're in your workplace. And then you have to go to work. And you work all day, hopefully with people that you want to be around, doing a job that you want to do that particular day. And then half the day's over and you're thinking, I still have half a day left. I don't have enough energy for this. But then you have to go about the rest of the day and you finish out your work day, no matter how difficult that is. And then you go pick up the kids or pick up the neighbors or pick up whoever you have to pick up. And then you have to chauffeur them around. 
everywhere just so that you can get them to whatever activity it is that they are going through so that you can hurry up and get home to make dinner or to pick up dinner so that you can feed them so that you can then get to the end of the day to realize I need enough energy to get ready for the next day. And maybe you can relate to me and my wife and you can relate to Paul who's like, I just don't have enough energy for all that. And he says, here's the good news. I don't have to do all of this in my energy. I get to do it in his. He says, for this I toil and I struggle with all of whose energy? Is it his or, or is it mine or is it your energy? No, it's Jesus's energy. It's so clear here for us in verse 29 of Colossians chapter 1. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy. And it's not just his energy, but he's the one that provides it. All of his energy, Paul writes, that he powerfully works within me. In other words, we may not have enough energy to get the mission and the ministry done of proclaiming Jesus Christ and presenting every single one mature, but he provides the energy, he provides the power, and he supplies it continually, replenishing us as we go along. And he's referring to no other but to his Holy Spirit. In other words, what Paul is saying is that Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit so that the ministry and the mission that we have every single day can get done, not by our strength, but by his strength. And let me just preach to you. He's not just talking about the preachers, the pastors, and the ministers that get access, access to this power. He's talking about you, the mamas and the dads and the grandparents and the teachers and the employee and the owner and the associates and the boss. He's talking to every single one of us because in the kingdom of God, according to the way Jesus views things, it's not a separation between church life and regular life or church life and work life, but he sees every place we have, whether we're in church or outside of church, as a mission field. And so he tells mamas, as a point of application here, he says, Paul is saying you need to proclaim Jesus Christ, mom, even when you're staying home or even when you're raising your kids. And you need to work and disciple your family so that you may present your children that God has entrusted you with as mature in Jesus Christ. You need to warn them and evangelize them and you need to call them to repentance and you need to teach them and learn them something about the whole counsel of God's word and then show them what it looks like to be applied. And I know you feel like you don't have energy for that. That's why Jesus says, I'm going to give you my energy through the Holy Spirit so that you can make disciples within your home. But it doesn't stop with mamas, daddies. You need to know you're also responsible. Listen, God may call me to become the pastor of this church, but you are already called to be the pastor of your family. And if you're waiting for me or for one of the other ministers within this church to lead your family spiritually, you're missing the boat. Because God has called you and he's gifted you with the family so that you can present them as mature in Christ and so that you can proclaim Jesus in and over your household. And he's not just sending you out on a task with no power and with no authority and with no energy. He's given you his Holy Spirit. And we know that this is the proclamation and that this is the promise that Jesus gave us. He tells us in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He says, and when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you're going to be my witnesses 
in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. Jesus has already told us, I'm giving you the power. And now Paul is telling you, I can testify that we're doing this through his power and not through our own. And so if you were to ask me, Brother Scott, how are we going to do this? How are you going to lead this church? And in, and in what way could we expect, if we call you to be our pastor, in what way could we expect your leadership to lead this church, to proclaim Jesus Christ and to present everyone, not just some, but everyone that we reach as mature in Christ? I tell you, the way we're going to do it is under the power, inspiration, direction, and control of the Holy Spirit. Because if it's not by his involvement, we ain't getting it done. That's another Mississippian word. And I'll tell you why we ain't getting it done, because I don't have enough energy for all of that. And y'all don't have enough energy for all of that. But he does. And he is already committed to supply it if we are committed to go proclaim Jesus Christ and do what it takes to present every single person we can mature in Jesus Christ. I'll tell y'all something. Paul preached a pretty good in view of call sermon. And I think I agree with what he said. I want to move us into a time of invitation. Um, that is the, the sermon to proclaim Jesus Christ and to present everyone as mature in Christ and to serve this mission out through the power of God's Holy Spirit. But now we get to this point in the message where we invite people to respond. And so, uh, Brother Mark and anyone else that's involved, um, Brother Kenny, anyone that's involved in the, the invitation, I want to invite you guys to come and to assume your place because we, we need to talk about the invitation. I have had the privilege of pastoring long enough to know that whenever you're preaching the truth from God's word, God is working on the hearts of the hearers in ways that perhaps I didn't specifically speak. And some of you in this room were being ministered to through the Holy Spirit and convicted that you need to respond to truth today. And I was preaching Paul's sermon in view of a call. And we were talking about proclamation. And we were talking about presentation. We were talking about poweration. And some of you were just thinking, I just need to get right with the Lord. And I want to invite you today, if you have never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to make the most important decision that you will ever make. And if you've never made this decision, you need to know, you are not living until you make the decision to receive Jesus into your heart. Life doesn't begin until that point, not true life. The scripture tells us in Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, you and me and us, every single one of us, we are sinners. We have chosen to act in disobedience to God. And the scripture tells us that the consequence of that decision is that we will die and we will go to hell. It's not a question of if, it is a matter of fact. We will die and go to hell because we're sinners unless, unless we receive into our life by placing our faith into Jesus Christ's forgiveness. The scripture tells us that though we were dead in our sin, that God loved us so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, the scripture also tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that 
how to be saved. He says, if you will believe in your heart, if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him three days later from the grave, that you can be saved. So here's the deal. You're a sinner and I'm a sinner and we're sinners. And because of our sin, we each individually, when we die, we will go to hell, but God doesn't want that to happen. So he made the choice to give his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to us. How did he do that? He sent his son by birth through a virgin to come in the form of man, fully God, fully man, and to live a sinless life. And after about 33 years, Jesus Christ died on a cross that he didn't deserve. Rather, he died on the cross that you deserved and that I deserve. And the reason that he did that is to take our place as a sacrifice, to pay the penalty of the debt that we have against God because of our sin. The story of the gospel is, is that we're sinners and that Jesus came and he lived a sinless life and he died on the cross to give us forgiveness of our sins. But that's not where the story ends. Jesus was then taken down from that cross and he was put into a grave, a borrowed grave, and he was in that grave for three days. And after the third day, do you know what happened? Have you heard this story? It's the best story that's ever been told. After three days, he rose from the grave. And here's what's so good about being raised from the grave. Because Jesus was raised from the grave, not only can we be forgiven from our sins, but we can also live forevermore because the grave can't hold us. And the gospel is, is that if you will receive by faith the good news of Jesus Christ and his sacrificial work, that not only can you be forgiven and set free from the penalty and the guilt of sin, but you can be set free to live forevermore just like Jesus in the presence of God the Father. You, though, must decide, I will receive that gift. And so I want to give you the opportunity today, if you never have, I want to give you the opportunity right here, right now, to receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And I just want to communicate clearly the expectation here because I'm new and and you aren't used to me. I'm not used to you. So just let me tell you what we're hoping to do. In just a moment, I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. As a part of that prayer, I'm going to say what we call the sinner's prayer. It's not a magical prayer. It's not in the Bible. It's just a way for you, if you want to be saved, to communicate to God that, hey, I know that I'm a sinner and I need to receive forgiveness and I accept that forgiveness. And if you've never prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior and been saved, when I say this prayer, I want you to repeat it to yourself quietly. And I want you to say it to God, and I'll I'll give you instructions during the prayer. I want you to say it to God, and I want you today to make the decision, I'm going to turn from my sin, and I'm turning towards the Savior. And then I'm going to say amen, and when I say amen, we're we're all going to start singing together. It's going to be the invitation time. And there's going to be ministers down front, and I'm even going to be standing down here. And if you have made the decision to receive Jesus as your Savior, I want you to immediately, when we start singing, I want you to step out into the aisle and I want you to make your way down here to the front. If you're in the front, you have a short walk. If you're in the back, you have a long walk. If you're in the balcony, you have the longest walk. We'll wait for you. And it's full in here. There's a great crowd. I promise you, no one to your left or right is going to be inconvenienced if you say, I need to get out. They might applaud for you. 
But when I close this prayer, if you've made a decision for Jesus, or if you need to talk to a minister, have them pray for you, if you need to join the church, or if you just need to come down and you don't know what you need to come down for, you can take one of us by the hand and tell us what you're here for. And we want to celebrate what God's doing in your life. So that's what we're going to do. Are y'all okay with that? I'm going to invite you where you are to stand. And when you stand, if you would bow your head and close your eyes, ministers, if you'd make your way, pastors, if you'd make your way down to the front, I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And when I say amen, the invitation is going to start. And that's your time to step out and walk forward to respond. Lord, we thank you for the day, for the opportunity that we've had to worship and to celebrate Jesus. And we thank you for the opportunity we've had to hear the word preached and to learn, God, what it is that that we should be about and, and how the pastor should be serving and leading the church. But Lord, now we're at a time of invitation, a time of responding, and, and we have, God, a unique opportunity to respond to the gospel right here and right now. So Lord, my prayer is that in just a moment as we say this prayer, if there is a man or a woman, a teenager or a child who feels convicted to be saved and to be forgiven of their sins, I pray that they would have the courage to say this prayer and then they would step out in obedience to proclaim Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. So right now, we're going to move into this time where we say this prayer. And if you need to be saved and if you want to receive Jesus in your life, I'm going to invite you to repeat this prayer after me. Are you ready? Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I believe that you gave Jesus to save me. I receive his forgiveness for my sin and I give my life to you. Lead me today and forevermore. In just a moment, The invitation is going to open. And if you prayed that prayer to receive Jesus as your Savior for the very first time, I want you to step out and walk down. I don't care if you're in the balcony, in the back, or in the front. We are here, and we will wait for you.